Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comic 2000 AD. I'm Eamon Clark, and for this episode, my guest is a contender for the title of number one 2000 AD superfan. It's Stacey Dutton Whittle. Stacey, welcome to the podcast. Hello. So first things first, um, you know, Mr. Burdis and Mr. Wells might dispute the title, but you are the number one superfan, aren't you? I feel like that's not quite right these days. I think I might have been in contention for this. Actually, the Mr. Robert Stewart might. Uh, oh, true. Thank yes. you for you know the world record holder there. Um, I think I might have been a contender, but I've had a little break from 2080 um, for a little while, and I'm just coming back to the fold. So I feel like I'm too far out of the loop right now to beat any of those boys. Okay. I mean, I could take them in a fight. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not sure I'd beat them right now in other ways. Tell us your 2008 origin story. When did you start with the prog? Ah, well, I came to the prog very late. So I didn't read it as a child. I am actually the same age as uh, The Galaxy's Greatest. Um, and I actually came to um, comics quite late as well. Um, and so my first prog, I actually started reading the magazine first, and I can't remember which issue that was. So not quite as memorable then. Um, but the, my first prog was 1600. All right, okay. And the reason I picked that up was because there was a indie comic writer that I quite liked. I'd read a couple of his books, and I'd seen that he had a strip start. And then I thought, oh, well, that's a good time to jump on. And I think it was a proper jumping on prog as well. And that, that was Tony Lee. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, yes. And that strip wasn't, you know... <laughs> wasn't necessarily one. great, but... No. Um, and he had a wonderful time working for the galaxy's greatest, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yes. He got some <laughs> He got some rather dodgy fan mail, didn't he? Or uh, yeah. hate mail, didn't he? But yeah, bless him. But that strip also was the introduction, the first time um, the wonderful John Davis Hunt was in the prog as well, I think. So I feel like I've come along with John. Okay. Like, and, sort of thing. <laughs> and recently you've been getting back into the prog or to the Meg? Yeah, I've got. I've just um, subscribed. So I've read the last three or four. Yeah, so it's been quite a big break because I did have a baby, right. and comics and babies are difficult. Yes, I'll be honest. And of course, it's difficult at the moment because it's uh, March the thirtieth, and we're all in lockdown. So you've yeah. got a toddler to keep entertained. That's right. But I think, um, although 1600 was my first prog and was maybe memorable for the wrong reasons, I became a diehard fan very quickly and started just eating up everything that I could find. And I read a lot and I went back to the beginning and started to read them from the beginning. And it, it was like an instant passion. And of course, you used to do the mega cast reviews with uh, Is McAuliffe. I did, yes. That's back in the day, though. That is back in the day, before, before I turned into Pete. <laughs> yes, and, and had a baby. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get to the book you've chosen for uh, the podcast. And it's one you wanted to, you know, we've been trying to organise this for quite some time. I think you uh-huh. picked it fairly early on. What's the book? It's The Pit. Fantastic. Judge Dread The Pit, from Progs 970 to 999, back in 1995-96. 
Uh, written by John Wagner. We've got art by Carlos Esquera, Colin McNeil, Alex Ronald, and Lee Sullivan. Colours by Carlos, uh, Alan Craddock, Mike Hadley. Lettered Tom Frame and editors at the time, uh, according to the the info in the book, John Tomlinson and David Bishop. So, when did you discover the pit? When did you go back and get this one then? Because it's before your start time. It is. So I had I had bought a few of the trades, um, and I I was struggling with them a little bit. I think because I didn't really have anyone to advise us, which were good starting places. I sort of picked wrong ones and I couldn't quite get my head round um, who older Dread, not, well, sort of younger Dread, really, was. And then I picked this one up and I totally got it. So it became, it, it, it sort of was the bridging gap for me between the Dread I was reading in the prog every week and the Dread from, you know, 1977 to the 80s that I didn't, that wasn't my Dread. Right. But this one put it into context for me and I kind of knew who he was and I got him more. And then I went back and I read all the other ones and it they made them more accessible to me. Things like America and um, the Apocalypse War and all of those stories kind of made more sense after I read The Pit. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's how it made sense to me. <laughs> okay. But it helped you, I mean, as you say, it helped you understand Dredd's character. Because it's an interesting book for, you know, Dredd. He's not sort of facing some extra-dimensional threat. It's very much uh, Dredd and the city, isn't it? It is, and he's not in his sort of favourite on-the-streets role, really, at first. So he's not really the, the Dredd from those, you know, the older stories. Right. And he's not really the Dread that he was. When I started reading The Prog, it was Tour of Duty. Oh, right. Yes, of course. So he wasn't that person either. So it was he was he's kind of like out of his comfort zone, out of his place. So you get a different look at him, I think. Okay. So, th- I mean, I'm guessing that's this is the reason why you chose The Pip for the book club is because it was one of the first ones that really clicked with you when you went back to some of the back catalogue. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so I will ask you later on that question about, you know, which is a good volume to hand to a new Dread reader uh, and whether this is the one. But we'll come back to that. Let's start with, just fair warning, (laughs) (laughs) let's start with a brief outline of the pit. What what is the sort of essentials of the pit? What is the situation Dread finds himself in and has to deal with? So, so So the sort of broad overview is that the Sector House 301 is the sort of the waste ground when all of the badly performing judges are sent so because there's no decent judges there the area has just gone to hell and is nicknamed the pit but then dread sent in to clean up after the sector chief there was killed so he's been sent up and he just it's it's like moss eisley in there isn't it he's like it's just a pit of villainy and scum yes it is whatever the correct quote is which i know that's not quite right is it a hive of villainy of scum? <laughs> that's it hi it is it's like the moss eisley of mega city one um and he's sent in as um sector chief to clean it up find all the corruption and put the place back together and have it running properly so within that as well so that's the sort of broad overview of all of the arc but there's lots of little sub stories going on in there so there's basically 
dread trying to find out who are the bench judges in the sector house and sort them out. There's a undercover judge who he's not sure about if he's corrupt or not. So that's another plot running through. Um, and then you've got actually how bad the criminals are in the area. So they're like, that's another one. So once they've got the the sector house cleaned up is then how do you clean up the town? So that's going on as well. And then you've got the sort of last big war against the sort of criminal overlord criminal, who has a fabulous name. The Friends Gang, is that it? The Friends Gang, whose leader is, what is he called? Bongo. Bongo, that's it, yes. And I never get his first name name right ever. I always get it wrong. Because I want to call him Fungo Bongo. He's not Fungo. I think it's Afonso Bongo. I think it is, yes, that's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, leading up to sort of like final confrontation with him and his gang in the sort of final part of the pit. But as you say, along the way, there's lots of twists and turns, there's sort of procedural stuff. There's dread cleaning house, as it were, trying to make this sector house run properly. And as you say, there's a lot, there's uh, suspicions of corruption that may go all the way up to and including the SJS as well. Yeah. Let's start with John Wagner's writing. Um, here he is, you know, on his own now. By this stage, he's the master of the Dread story. And he's settling into that sort of procedural style that he would, seems to sort of like um, characterise his Dread story, certainly from the last 25 years or so, it seems to me. Um, mm-hmm. Did you, I mean, do you enjoy what he, what John Wagner does with this setting? I think he's on fire throughout this. I mean, he's always brilliant, one of the best writers in the world. There's me super fanness coming out there for you. Um, I just think he's a wonderful writer, and I think he's in his element here. He seems to be really enjoying it. They're all the twists and turns, which are all wrapped up neatly at the end, but there's also moments, there's a wonderful moment where Dredd gets to his, you know, the place where he's staying, his rooms or, or whatever, and there's just a moment of him just staring out the window, and he's so alone. <laughs> I mean, he's always alone, isn't he? Yes. But it's just like highlighted. But then also, there's just the typical Wagner humour running out. So there's some bits where I've like laughed out loud. Um, the what are they called? The the there's a group called the what are they? The Seventh. I wrote it down as well. Um, I can't read my own writing. The Seventh Heaven Apocalypse Day Group. Oh, that's it. Yes. And they're just desperate for death. And all of these terrible things happen in the city and they keep surviving. It's so funny. Like, I laughed out loud a few times while reading that. And there's just another couple of moments as well when they're in out-and-out warfare. There's a bit, I'm trying not to be too spoilery, but where we've got some judges hold up like, oh, what's that John Carpenter film? Like Assault Assault on on Precinct 13. That's exactly the one. Um, It's like that. There's so few of them and there's so many people outside and you can't see how they're going to win and everything's going wrong. And then there's a desperately injured person and it's like, oh, but we haven't got any drugs to give them. And then one of the judges, Judge Lee, said, oh, I've got these drugs. And straight away, Trent is just like right up in his face. Yeah. Where'd you get them from, Lee? Yes. So disappointed in you. It's like he can't stop being dread, even under threat of extreme death. Dread's got a dread. <laughs> he does. But there's so many moments like that all the way through. You know, I just highlighted a, a couple there. But it is it is so funny. It's so funny. And even playing with the speech and stuff, like, I'm madly in love with Judge Guthrie. Yeah. 
Who's the undercover? He's wonderful. Undercover dread. Uh, sorry, undercover judge. He is, and he has great fun with that character. And he's one of my favourite characters in the in the book as well. And and also Bongo, who is like this mad. He's not your typical crime boss, is he? He's not smart, slick. He's not like a gangster. No. He's he's like a complete hippie, druggy weirdo who doesn't like people talking to him because it, strange, it messes it? with his mellow and it, I think he's just having fun I, I think that John Wagner really seems to be enjoying this it's fun but it's also got those dark edges it's everything that you need wrapped up I it is I mean I, I also had a laugh at the grot pots oh the it's, grot pots is fab these sort of like uh, pot noodle food in Mega City 1 that suddenly rained down from a crash uh, tanker and uh, yeah, crock pots and uh, they're all trying to swap flavors and all the flavors are nuts. They're all horrible. <laughs> Rat madras, my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, there is there is obviously John Wagner's typical dark humour throughout this, and then he's doing this as I say, this sort of grim and gritty procedural, which uh, I know we talked. You know, I put this in our notes that you know reminded me of some sort of classic TV shows you've got assault and precinct 13 at the end but like hill street blues or the bill or or, um gotham central in comics it's that sort of feel to it this sort of uh police house sector house and the intrigue but of course he does occasionally get out on the streets and cracks heads at the same time as well being dread oh yes definitely but i think it i think dread is really he suits that police procedural thing it's but he originally, could you say that originally that's what the judges were conceived to do? Yeah. To be like the the police and the judges and everything all rolled into one. So he's kind of set up for that anyway. But I don't think we'd really seen it before this point. Oh, definitely not as much. You know, there's all the crazies and the footsies and all the madness of Mega City 1 and the robot wars and um, all of those things. But this is like kind of straight yes. police procedural. Um, and I think it just really works because everything that you need to make it work is already there, isn't it? You know, patrols, um, the the structure of the judges and the sector house and how it goes down and the SGS. It's all in place for you to do this. It's and it's and it works so well for me. Yeah, it's marvelous. I mean, I like the fact that you can sort of see dread figuring stuff out, and he's sort of like as well as figuring out crimes, he's also figuring out who are the good judges and who are the dodgy judges in this in Sector House 301. Um, it's marvellous. You know, you can see him. And, it, and the other thing I like is I like when you see other judges being competent and good at their jobs rather than just all being down on dread. Um, and we get some quite interesting characters here. You've mentioned, you know, um, sort of Wally Squad or temporary Wally Squad Judge Garcia who actually gets to drop on Dread most unusually. Not many characters can do that. Um, and then, of course, this also introduces Galen DeMarco for the first time. Yeah, I love DeMarco. I have a real uh, soft spot. But the reason I do is because of this. Right. I think she's fabulous. Yes. Um, and, of course, she is, at this time, you know, again, not to give too much spoilers, she's perhaps doing something that she shouldn't do with another judge, um, which has consequences. Oh, yes, she is. Oh, yes, she is, yeah. <laughs> 
yes, she is. But yes, this is Galen DiMarco. Um, plus, we also get a bit of Judge Giant and uh, Judge Castillo from the Wilderlands story is back for a brief period in this in this one. Yeah, we don't see a lot of it. He gets a little bit more story, doesn't he? Giant um, is always giant. great. Yeah, but also it's oh, I'm trying not to be spoilery, but um, Judge um, Warren as well he has a very interesting sort of storyline in it as well uh demarco's reason for being in the pit yes yes uh, judge warren has an interesting arc through this story as well yeah okay let's stacy let me turn you to the artwork for a moment then um because as oh. you say we've got i think five great artists on here um or four i think four artists carlos colin mcneil alex ronald and lee sullivan what did you think about the sort of moving through the different artists and the different styles through the book? Which ones particularly stood out to you? Well, Carlos, obviously. Yes. Um, and he starts off, and, and actually the very, very first page I want to mention, because not only is it sort of like immediately recognisable that it's him, but also it's just setting up the tone straight away as you're coming in on that schedule and the place is a shambles and there's just mess um and so you get you know what you're getting into straight away doesn't it he's setting the tone and then is is this sorry if i'm going to jump ahead to one of your notes on that first page is that when you talked about dread being purple yes in that, <laughs> right in my copy. I, wonder, I had to go back and look <laughs> So in my copy, when he appears on the you know the second page on parade at the sector house, and um, I think because well you know I think Pete Wells has spoken to me about this before. This was when digital colouring was sort of starting to um, become, I suppose, much more much more frequently used. And I just wondered about the colours on my version because he does look his uniform does look rather purple to me. I don't know about your version because I know you had to hunt down another copy, didn't you? I did. Yes, which version have I got? Actually, it's the. Um the Hamlin. Ah, right. Okay, because I think I've got the Rebellion one. Right. He he does look very purple in that first one, but I don't think he stays. I think there's definitely a hue, isn't there? Yes. It's not quite as it is, but I don't think it really bothered. I didn't notice it actually really until he pointed it out, and I was like, oh yeah, he is. He's totally purple. <laughs> look at that. All right, so it didn't bother us, but that is a lovely dread there, even yes. though he's purple. Yes, and of course it's that panel, I am a stickler. Yeah, my name is Dredd, you may have heard of me, I'm a stickler. It's a sort yeah, of classic Dredd hard. moment, isn't it? It is. It is, it's wonderful. So Carlos's artwork is just fabulous. And I particularly like how he um, draws Guthrie. Yeah. And I don't think anybody else quite gets them. You know, sometimes, isn't there, people have, like one character, that's how you think of them and the others aren't quite right. Um, but I think he's got them perfectly it's lovely there is there was a it's there was a one page where i'm gonna see some negative about calls and get my head kicked in or something um because we don't do that do we um but there was one page that i thought was really not so nice and that's one page and that was that was it but i can't think which one it was it was like a full page muddy thingy hang on let's have a look so I noticed the page at the end of episode six of the first part of the pit where he does another look at that skedway and the cityscape from below. And I noticed on that, again, the sort of digital colouring was a bit, I thought, a bit sort of purplish and bright in places. 
on that. Whereas the bottom of the page, where you see the ruins that have been left behind by the apocalypse war and whatever else disasters, that bit's great. Great, Carlos. Yeah. But I mean, I'm trying he, to find a page. I'm sorry, I'm flicking madly trying to get you that's okay. to that page that you were. But he, you know, we get definitive about. dread from Carlos. We get definitive Guthrie, Castillo, Giant, Galen DeMarco. They all yeah. sort of like, you know. You know, when when Carlos draws them, it's just like, yeah, that's what they look like, isn't it? Yeah, and also because quite a lot of the panels are really busy as well, but it's just that makes sense to me as well because it's this busy hive, and you know everyone's coming and going, and I like I I love the busyness of some of his panels. Yes, that makes sense. Well, it does because there's a lot going on in the pit itself. Because as we say, you know, they're solving crimes, they're chasing down this crime gang, um, and all the while, Dread is sort of rooting out corruption in the sector house, while at the same time trying to instill uh, what would we call it, Dread's comportment. Uh, you know, on them. <laughs> it, it, there's lots of busyness, but there is the odd moment, like the one I mentioned before, with Dread just standing looking out the window just before he gets. Uh, ass whooped by Guthrie um, yeah. yeah and there's the uh, there's like the odd little moment where uh, so at the start of part seven there the second page um, when Dred's in talking to the he's setting up an anti-corruption team and the guy's just standing outside the door just like this one little sort of emptier panel just to there's a lot of text um, speech in that one so maybe that's why um, but then you catch your breath a little bit yes. and then it's off again I being busy it. Yeah, I think that's something Carlos is always really good at. There's the busy, and then there's the moment, and then there's the busy. Yeah, yes, you could do get these little strange little moments around there. You know, as you say, one of the judges standing guard outside the door and sort of almost hearing what's going on inside because Dread is giving them a bit of a um, a talking to, let's say. Mm. Uh, which of course he's quite good at being Dread. You know. Um, yeah, quite wordy for Dread as well. Quite wordy, actually, yeah. <laughs> and we get a few sort of caption boxes of Dread's thoughts about, you know, reorganising and uh, which judges are going to make the grade and which ones, you know, um, he's suspicious of and so on. Um, but, yeah. OK, so that's Carlos, who's wonderful. And um, whenever, mm-hmm. you know, whenever he comes back on, it's fantastic. We've got it's true. Colin McNeil as well. Yeah. Uh, Alex Ronald, I particularly like to think Alex Ronald with the um, the, the grot pots. Yes, that was great fun. And then I think Carlos, a much more sparse art as well. Yes. Um Alex says it's like definitely like the is it a break for your eyes a little bit in the middle of the the busy on either side is quite nice. Yeah, it is actually, isn't it? Yes, I'm just looking at some of them now uh, of judges going around stopping. Uh, Stopping civilians and stopping uh, tankers and so on. Much more space in some of these panels. Nice one at the end of one of the pages where they he hasn't sort of like done the background. He's just like Dread and uh, one of the judge's fathers standing in sort of like um, on white. Uh, actually, it's not Dread. It's is it. It's his. It's his son. I think that one isn't it. Is it? Not Dread's uh, son. It's Patel. The, yeah, that's it. Judge Patel. So yeah, that's very nice. So that's lovely. Uh, we get a bit of Colin McNeil. We've got Colin McNeil on the cover, on mine at least. There's a cover image for the pit. Uh, and then a bit of Lee Sullivan as well. Yeah, now, I'll be honest, I'm not dead familiar with Lee Sullivan. Um, and I absolutely loved his stuff in here. Absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, I don't um, like yourself. I'm not too familiar with him. Um, I mostly know his name from this book, in fact. Oh, right. Yeah, me too. I'm not, I'm not. But I really, really, I really liked his. He has the sort of same sort of busyness. Well, it's not the same, but you know, a kind of busyness as well going on, which I just really liked. And some of his. Um, odd panels i would think god I, would, I want that panel as a poster but just that panel not the whole page yes um so some of the panels are just so i mean he must have wanted to cry when a couple of money was like right there's 20 low masters yeah. <laughs> setting off and he gets the lovely um when somebody saying no names to spoil nothing gets melted in some sludge he gets the joyous job of grown and melting doesn't he and then does, sort yes. of <laughs> and there's some wonderful panels around that section as well absolutely lovely so the, and there's also there's an interlude story called uh, the pit declaration of war which has got lee sullivan art and the last page of that which is like a sort of uh i suppose it's like a, a number of separate images of judges cracking down on the on bongo's organization with a with dread's head Oh, you know, almost in classic 2008 style, actually, Dred's head looming over the page and dominating everything, um, which is great. Um, good chin work there yeah. from Mr. Sullivan. Yeah, is that the one where it's got this sort of, um, it's got the, the casino in the corner? It and has, the, yes. Yeah, it's really nice. I yeah. like that one. Okay. Some lovely stuff in here. So the artwork's great. Uh, Colin McNeil, as I said, I think he's in that midpoint between uh, the painted work he did on America and then the stuff he does more recently with Machine Law and, of course, Guatemala, which we've had not too long ago. I'm not sure which ones I prefer, actually. I think the stuff he does, he's doing now, I think is probably, for me, it's my favourite Colin McNeil. My favourite Colin McNeil is the stuff he did on Insurrection, which I thought was oh, absolutely yes, wonderful. Of course, yes, that is just absolutely stunning. Yeah, you'll have to persuade Is to see if she'll come on and do Insurrection at some point. Oh, do you know what? I'm sure she would love it. She was obsessed with that. I have a page. I think we both bought pages. Of did that you? As well. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to, don't you? You do. Yes, you do indeed. Don't tell my husband. <laughs> <laughs> There's a there's a, an art collection under the bed. <laughs> it literally is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, any other favourite moments or episodes to pick out from the pit? Um, oh, have I covered everything that I want? I wanted to um, cover. I have marked a couple of moments that I really liked, so I thought. But so yes, the start of part fourteen that Lee Sullivan art as well, which is where we see the the Seventh Heaven Community Hall. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Every time I think about it, it makes us laugh. The poor puckers. And he gets some lovely. Oh, do you know what I like all the way through? There's lots of what I like to call bike porn. Oh yes, yeah. And I, I love a good almost. I really do. <laughs> uh, there's a lovely panel of Demarco on hers. I think, and I think that's probably Carlos, isn't it? Um, when she's she's sneaking out of her dorm to go places yes. which might be spoilers and she's talking about having had another dream and she's just a her on her bike oh it's lush what little panels like you know when little panels just catch you yeah um i love that so i found part 14 as you say with the um the opening page by lee sullivan and then of course on the next page as you say we get melting <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> some poor chap. Sup? Yeah. And the Seventh Heaven Apocalypse Day group are holding their nightly vigil for the end of the world. It's just so funny. Yeah. I just find that whole little stream, and it goes for a while, doesn't it? It goes through this whole thing that you don't see them again, and then they pop up again, not being killed. Yes. They're like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> the guy, one of them says, you say the same thing every night and nothing ever happens. And he says, well, I'm bound, I'm bound to be right sooner or later. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that whole, that whole part, part 14, um, is beautiful. It's so fabulous. Yeah. Every panel, there's not a there's not a duff panel in that. It's just absolutely stunning, and there's so much craziness going on. Like a truck breaks through the wall and comes skidding in and misses all of the seventh day bodies. Yeah, a tanker bio sludge, which doesn't sound very healthy. No, you get that brilliant um, panel of the sort of melted skeleton being hosed down and oh it's just that that whole that whole part is just wonderful (laughs) splendid yeah Um, i mean i also i I myself i particularly like as you did the assault on precinct 13 bit at the end yeah a few key judges are sort of holed up with a wounded man and uh the the uh the friends mob are sort of pouring it on from outside um, oh, it's, it's wonderful! Back with Carlos Art for the end as well, which is great, uh, yeah. or at least for that part of it is. So it's just wonderful. It is wonderful. I love that whole bit and that sense of tension they've got building up there, and um, it, and it, you can't work out how they're going to get out of it. It's just fabulous. Yeah, just wonderful. So let's come back to that question I was going to ask you right at the start about handing a volume of Dread to a new reader. Now, Pete Wells, we've mentioned a few times, um, right back on episode two, said it was America for him and that he'd bought all those 99p uh, mega collections to hand out to people and friends and get them to read it. Of course, as we record, the Mighty Tharg has put Case Files 5 for free digitally yeah. on the website. So that's a that's often cited as the perfect introduction to Dread. What about The Pit as a first volume? What do you think of that? You see, this when when anybody asks me, this is the number one I go to. I go before anything else. I say this one because, and I think, and this part of the reason why is because it's recognisably police procedure, which everybody is familiar with. So it's not that you're having to get used to a whole new concept as well as a whole new world. There's a very recognisable structure, which I think is makes them you know the dread world much more accessible for a person who's never read it before so if you've got no history of reading it at all you're going to know what's going on because you know what that police procedural thing is which i think makes it accessible i argue with people who recommend america all of the time i'm pretty sure i've had this argument with pete as well probably you have yes in that i don't think that's accessible for a brand new reader I think it's, um, I, I talked recently about, somebody asked me the question, um, Nemesis the Warlock, good or buddy? Right. And I said, well, you may as well ask if Dread's a good or a buddy as well, because Dread is both, mm. isn't he? Very much so. And yes. I think in America, he's so desperately unlikable that 
if you're not familiar with them already and have some affection for them, you might not get it. And I, I had this with a friend of mine who was recommended that she read that as a starting access point, and she said it made her cry. She thought it was so <laughs> sad. It and is also, so thought, sad, though. Yeah, and I thought, you're dead right. And she went, I've got no interest in reading this again. And I'm like, you should have read The Pit. <laughs> because I, I think that that is the thing. It's it's re- America is wonderful, and it's dark, and it's layered, and it's it's lots of things. But accessible to a brand-new reader, I don't think so. Um, but that's my opinion. <laughs> but it's definitely not on my list ever right. of Tantra and New Reader. First not volumes. ever. Whereas The Pit gives you a flavour of what Dread has become, I think, as a strip in the last 25 years. You know, this this sort of hard-nosed police procedural stuff with some dark humour thrown in there as well. You can read The Pit and then you, you can go and pick up a part one of a prog now. Yeah. And you'd, you'd be comfortable and you would probably keep reading. Whereas I think if you read America and then you picked up a and you, that's all you'd read and then you picked up a prog, would that be the same would, would it be easier to see? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I never recommend it as a starting point. I know lots of people do. I did for SFX uh, website a long, long time ago. I asked a lot of 2080 creators who what they would choose for a newbie. And almost all of them see America as well. So I know it, I know that's a popular opinion, but for me, it just it, it isn't. And, and I, I don't know how I would have felt if I'd read America first, whether I would... I don't know. So I gave America to an American comics fan um, who'd never read any 2000 AD or Judge Dredd, and he read it and enjoyed it. But afterwards he said, well, if that's the best Dredd story by repute, I don't need to read any more now. So... <laughs> All right. So, okay. So he didn't, you know, it didn't grab him enough to say, oh, you know, I want to go and read more about this character. Whereas The Pit, I think you could, as you say yourself, you can give The Pit to a new reader and say, well, this is what Dread has become. This is how the stories go these days. And this has got so much going on in it. Uh, and I think one of the longest um, sort of, I don't know if you can call it a Dread epic, but one of the longest continuing Dread storylines, because it was 30 progs, I think. Yeah. And I think it was not until Doomsday came along that there was a longer sort of continuing story. It even it out, you know it outstrips the Apocalypse War, which I think was twenty six weeks. So, but yeah, loads going on in the pit. Great stuff to hand to somebody new, I think. I absolutely do. It's always the first one I recommend. Always, always, and I'll fight anybody. <laughs> okay. And whoever Stacy gave her first original volume to, because she have it back now, please. Please, could I have it back? Hello. This one is slightly bigger format, though, so possibly not, you know, You're I think right. it's slightly bigger. Well, while we're mentioning formats, I will say that the pit is available digitally from the 2000 AD store for, for 9.99. I think the paperback version is out of print now. It is. As is issue 32 of the Mega Collection, where it was collected in hardback. But you can also find it in case files 24 and 25. It sort of runs over the year. But you can track down, obviously, second-hand copies of the paperback. Or, for these times when we're uh, all stuck indoors, digital will probably do the job, I guess. Well, it's not the same. Not the same. <laughs> you had to hunt down a copy. I've got an, I've got an old copy, and I must have bought this second-hand because somebody's done that thing, possibly a library, where they've covered it in sticky-back plastic. You know? Oh, right. Yeah, like possibly a library. We tend to do that sort of thing. Yeah. 
So let's play the Grail page game. Let's go back to the artwork, Stacey. So this is going to be quite hard because you've got four different artists and you like all of them in their different ways. I do. But if we were going to give you all of this artwork to choose from and we can oh. afford it, uh-huh. what page or two or even any of the covers from the back of the book would you choose to hang on your wall or hide under the bed? Not in the back of my book. Ah, you don't get the covers, right? No, God damn it. That would have been nice. Imagine that. Yes. Right. Do you know, I found this really difficult because... So on a lot of the pages, I like some of the panels and not the other bit. And I'm like, oh, well, how much would I pay for that? <laughs> Which I don't think is playing this game properly. Right. However, do you know what? I really, really, really like the last page with Dread on his um, lawmaster with the judges that he's leaving behind going across the top as if it was the credits of an actual um, police show. Oh, yeah. The heads across the top. I really do like that. So that is the last one, and that is, I guess, that's an Alec Ronald page, isn't it? No, the credits for this um, end part eight of Bongo War are not in my book, are they in yours? No, that's why I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that, that first page as well with them, part eight. Yes. That's lovely. And as I say, I, I do like a bit of bike porn. It is, I have got a fondness, that's lovely as well. I think it yes, is. I think it is Lee Sullivan, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. You're that's right. Lovely. So that's the last page of the book with that beautiful image of Dread driving uh, his uh, lawmaster away from the sector house. Um, with, as you say, the action, the action movie image of the other judges above him, but possibly also the first page of part eight as well with them riding yeah. out. Splendid. I thought you might. Be, I thought you might be going to choose the famous "I'm a stickler" page. Um, yeah, that is that is really really nice, isn't it? And there's an there's oh hang on a minute, sorry. There's another one that I really like, which I think is Colas, which is part three, which is um, dread from like behind driving through the streets with all the um bits on fire and graffiti everywhere and stuff, and that's lovely. Yeah. I really like that too. That's lovely. Yeah, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> So I've chosen a splash page from The Bongo War, uh, part right. five, page three, and it's the, it's, the, it's the Assault on Precinct 13 page, basically. Right. It's the mob firing all their guns from outside at this uh, building that the judges are holed up in. And at the top, you've just got a Carlos Dread head with the uh, characteristic black sort of... Uh, hash marks around these outline and it just dread saying just a minor problem nothing we can't handle yeah yeah that's fab isn't it it is fab isn't it that's lovely so i would have that one but we're going to give you your two pages and also a bit of carlos lawmaster action as well i think and i'll post all these images when this episode comes out give us all something to look at while we're um bashing our heads off the walls inside at the moment (laughs) Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so that's splendid. The Pit, an excellent volume to give to a new reader uh, or to a, le- a lapsed reader who hasn't been there for a while. Give them this and say, yeah, this is what you've been missing over the last 25 years. Dread at his best. Definitely. John, John Wagner at his best as well. I think so. Yeah, although having said that, John just seems to get better and better, doesn't he? He really does. Yeah. Sometimes I hear... 
um, Dred's voice as John's voice now, right. which is weird because now Dred's ever so slightly Scottish, yes. isn't he? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I do kind of have John's voice as John. It's not a bad voice to have in your head, is it? Is it? You know. No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, and such a lovely man as well. Agreed. So that is the pit. Get your volume. Uh, track it down. It is really a splendid stuff. And do let us know if you've uh, given it to new readers and what their reaction was with comparison to something like America or Case Files Five. So, Stacy, it's uh, guest projects time. Tell us. You're not doing the mega cast anymore, obviously, but tell us about Whittle Waffle or Waffle. Sorry, Whittle Waffle. waffle. <laughs> so I did do. So at one point I was doing quite a lot of audio podcasts. So I did the mega cast and I did Everything Starts with 2000 AD, which was one of my favourite ones to do, which I just I miss all the time. And I was in the back of my head wanting to get back to doing that one. Um, that was when you then, got a droid to go back through an early issue or an early prog with you, wasn't it? Yes. And that was really fun. Um, I really enjoyed that. We didn't get loads of episodes of that out because it was hard work trying to get that all together. Um, but I really did have a lot of joy in those few episodes um, that I did of that. I loved it. And then I, I started to do one called Whittle Waffle because I love talking about 2000 AD and the mega cast and the old 2000 ADs, but I wanted to talk about other geeky stuff as well. I wanted to talk about what I was watching and it'd be more sort of general pop culture and what other stuff I was reading so I did that and then that has been it's been a good couple of years since I'd done that as well because of the the baby and everything and so so the baby's a little bit older now she's 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 not long turned two and I found that I really really missed doing all of this stuff you know I used to love it so much the last I haven't even been to a convention the last one I was at was um, Thought Bubble. Yeah. Um, when I was, I got to do the 2000 AD panel, Heavily Pregnant. That was a joy. <laughs> <laughs> I missed doing, I missed, really started to really miss doing all of these things. Um, and so I decided to try and bring back um, my Whittle Waffle. But um, instead of it being audio now, I do it as a video cast. So it's brand new again. Um, and I've only just done three and a half episodes and it's sort of completely new ground for me because I've not done any video-y things. It's it's really weird. It's it's always really weird talking to yourself into a microphone, but it's another thing talking to yourself into a camera. Right. But I just wanted to do something, again, of one of the things that I did and I missed really badly and I'm really kind of enjoying it. So yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. So I tend to talk about. I have certain topics that I talk about. I talk about stuff what I've read, um, stuff what I've listened to, stuff what I've watched, and stuff that I've knitted. What a combination! Exactly, <laughs> all of my geekiness in one place. But I am thinking about doing a weekly quickie to go over the prog. Oh right, okay. So I think that's what's gonna. So I'm gonna do one every. I'm gonna keep it every fortnight and do the sort of the the. the the setup that I've got but I think I'm going to do a weekly glance over the prog so yeah that's that's burning away there thinking that I'd, I'd really like to do that too especially because although I've been um, like as you said I've been a massive fan and I got so immersed in the whole thing and then I've been out of it for a while 
to come back to it and see which threads that you've still got a hold of and which ones are making sense and which strips are not making sense at all it's kind of interesting so all oh, right okay and we of course we can find this on youtube can't we yes it's just called whittle waffle search for it subscribe press yes, do all those those youtube <laughs> things and i see you've just uh as we record you've just had episode three out the lockdown appropriately enough <laughs> yes and then there's also um 3.1 supplemental uh, which is mostly about the finale of picard oh I right yes of course <laughs> so, oh yeah supplemental and does that feature mark as well it does your other half the other yes uh, so you got him to watch Picard as well. Oh, he's as uh, well. This is the thing. Mark is an absolute gigantic geek. He's just not a comic geek. So he's a real, real die-hard film geek. So he'll be the one when you're sitting like immersed in a film and you're all tense and everything. He'll go. Interestingly enough, the sound director on this film also did this film in 1974. And you think, show your face, tell us at the end. That's so. That's Mark. He's a real film buff. So that's where his area of nerdiness. Yes, I had a conversation with him at Thought Bubble about horror films. Of course, he's, yes. he's a big horror fan, isn't he? It, he is, yes. He has a website um, called Within the Woods, which is mostly Evil Dead. Um, that's right. Based. That's what he was talking to me about. Yes, I will link to that as well. I will link to Whittle Waffle and to, oh, you're very kind. Uh, and to Mark's site as well. Um, and also, if you go back to the Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD back catalogue you'll find some everything begins with 2000 ED episodes with yourself yes they're there somewhere and they're quite fun <laughs> yeah they are they were great fun i mean yeah you know i liked getting the the droids on did you have henry flint on one of them yeah i had henry had ben wilshire had lee gallagher had um john davis hunt i had mike carroll a couple of times because he loved it yeah. i'm surprised he didn't keep it going on on, on his own actually i can't remember now, you'll find them, as we say, in the back catalogue uh, from a while ago. But there you are, they're there. And Whittle Waffle's up to date. Um, as I say, we'll link to all this in the show notes. Um, and, uh, yeah, find out what you've been watching and talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else to plug, Stacey? No, I don't have any plugging to do. That that's but... sounds like enough to keep you busy at the moment anyway. <laughs> It does. But thank you for asking. There's a reason why Pete always gives you a halo and not any other form of graffiti. <laughs> You're talking about Pete's adornments of the Southern Contingent <laughs> photos, which Facebook has now um, banned. <laughs> for some reason, I'm a member of that group, and I don't know why, because from my accent, you can probably tell. You're not, not part of the, not Southern, of the contingent. Southern Contingent. I'm a total note. So... Um, I don't know why Pete's in there either, but we're both in there. Well, Pete <laughs> so has think... turned up for the occasional meeting, I think. He has actually made it to the Southern Contingent for a drink and was forced to wear the horrible T-shirt. Was it something like, I love Burdis? No, it was just, I think it just said that it just had the Southern Contingent badge oh, on it. And it just <laughs> it upset him. There's a, there's a picture of Pete wearing the T-shirt with a terrible face on about it, looking very uh, unhappy. I feel sorry it. for him, but yes. he's a Macam. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> Quite right. But there we are. We love Pete. Uh, and we love Mr. Burdis as well, who organises the Southern Contingent. And we love Pete's um, uh, artistic interpretation of our photos, which for some reason Mark Zuckerberg's bots find um, offensive. I can't think why. 
There's an awful lot of worse things on Facebook. <laughs> this, oh, oh my God, yes there is. Yeah. Yes there is. <laughs> so Stacey, thank you very much for being a guest. For you know, finally managed to track you down. I know you've been very busy, and you're probably still very busy, as you say, entertaining a toddler. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's been really fun and really nice to uh, to chat about this stuff with you. Well, you know, a couple of people have said to me, can I do the pit? And I was saying, no, Stacey's, no. Stacey's coming on to do that. She's bagsied it. (laughs) It's mine. Yes. So track down a copy of the pit because it is a great read. Uh, It's always worth a reread. There's some lovely artwork in there. And, of course, it's got John Wagner doing cracking stuff. So it's great stuff. And thank you to everybody for listening to Mega City Book Club. Uh, find out all the details at megacitybookclub.com or email me comments and suggestions for future episodes to mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and the 2080 forums where we post the latest episodes plus pictures of uh, the Grail pages and link to Whittle Waffle as well. So until next time on Megacity Book Club when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's time for goodbye. So it's goodbye from me and... It's goodbye from him. (laughs) 